Chapter One of the Submarine Boys and the Middies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Submarine Boys and the Middies by Victor G. Durham. Chapter One The Prize Detail. The United States government doesn't appear very anxious to claim its property, does it, sir? asked Captain Jack Benson. The speaker was a boy of sixteen, attired in a uniform much after the pattern commonly worn by yacht captains. The insignia of naval rank were conspicuously absent. Now that I've had the good luck to sell the Pollard to the Navy, responded Jacob Farnham, principal owner of the shipbuilding yard, I'm not disposed to grumble if the government prefers to store its property here for a while. Yet the young shipbuilder, he was a man in his early thirties who had inherited this shipbuilding business from his father, allowed his eyes to twinkle in a way that suggested there was something else behind his words. Jack Benson saw that twinkle, but he did not ask questions. If the shipbuilder knew more than he was prepared to tell, it was not for his young captain to ask for information that was not volunteered. The second boy present, also in uniform, Hal Hastings by name, had not spoken in five minutes. That was like Hal. He was the engineer of the submarine torpedo boat Pollard. Jack was captain of the same craft and could do all the talking. Jacob Farnham sat back sideways at his roll-top desk. On top of the desk lay stacked a voluminous, though neat pile of papers, letters, telegrams, and memoranda that some rival builders of submarine torpedo boats might have been willing to pay much for the privilege of examining. For at the present moment there was fierce competition in the air between rival American builders of submarine fighting craft designed for the United States Navy. Even foreign builders and inventors were clamoring for recognition. Yet just now the reorganized Pollard Submarine Boat Company stood at the top of the line. It had made the last sale to the United States Navy Department. At this moment, out in the little harbor that was a part of the shipyard, the Pollard rode gently at anchor. She was the first submarine torpedo boat built at this yard, after the designs of David Pollard, the inventor, a close personal friend of Jacob Farnham. Moreover, the second boat, named the Farnham, had just been launched and put in commission, ready at an hour's notice to take the sea in search of floating enemies of the United States. The United States will take its boat one of these days, Captain, Mr. Farnham continued after lighting a cigar. By the way, did Dave tell you the name we're thinking of for the third boat, now on the stocks? Dave was Mr. Pollard, the inventor of the Pollard submarine boat. No, sir. Captain Jack replied. We have thought, resumed Mr. Farnham quietly, after blowing out a ring of smoke, of calling the third boat now building the Benson. The, the what, sir? stammered Jack, flushing and rising. Now don't get excited, lad, laughed the shipbuilder. But, but, naming a boat for the United States Navy after me, sir? Captain Jack's face flushed crimson. Of course, if you object, smiled Mr. Farnham, then paused. Object? You know I don't, sir, but I'm afraid the idea is going to my head, laughed Jack, his face still flushed. The very idea of there being in the United States Navy a fine and capable craft named after me. Oh, if the Navy folks object, laughed Farnham, then they'll change the name quickly enough. 
You understand, lad, the names we give to our boats last only until the craft are sold. The Navy people can change those names if they please. It will be a handsome compliment to me, Mr. Farnham. More handsome than deserved, I fear. Deserved well enough, retorted the shipbuilder. Dave Pollard and I are well satisfied that, if it hadn't been for you youngsters and the superb way in which you handled our first boat, Dave and I would still be sitting on the anxious bench in the ante-rooms of the Navy Department at Washington. Well, I don't deserve to have a boat named after me any more than Hal does or F. Summers. Give us time, won't you, Captain? pleaded Jacob Farnum, his face straight but his eyes laughing. We expect to build at least five boats. If we didn't, this yard never would have been fitted for the present work, and you three boys who have done so handsomely by us wouldn't each own, as you do now, ten shares of stock in this company. Never fear there'll be a Hastings and a Summers added to our fleet one of these days, even though some of our boats have to be sold to foreign governments. If a boat named the Hastings were sold to some foreign government, laughed Jack Benson, Hal here wouldn't say much about it but call a boat the summers after f and then sell it say to the germans or the japanese and all of f's american gorge would come to the surface i'll wager he'd scheme to sink any submarine torpedo boat named after him that was sold to go under a foreign flag well i hope we'll never have to sell any of our boats to foreign governments replied jacob farnum earnestly and we won't either if the united states government will give us half a show that's just the trouble grumbled hal hastings breaking into the talk at last confound it why don't the people of this country run their government more than they do four-fifths of the inventors who get up great things that would put the united states on top and keep us there have to go abroad to find a market for their inventions if i could invent a cannon today that would give all the power on earth to the nation owning it would the american government buy it from me no sir I'd have to sell the cannon to England, Germany, or Japan, or else starve while Congress was talking of doing something about it in the next session. Mr. Farnham, you have the finest and the only real submarine torpedo boat, and yet if you want to go on building and selling these craft, you'll have to dispose of most of them abroad. I hope not, responded the shipbuilder solemnly. Having said his say, Hal subsided. He was likely not to speak again for an hour. As a class, engineers having to listen much to noisy machinery are themselves usually silent. It was well along in the afternoon, a little past the middle of October, for our three young friends, Jack, Hal, and F. Things were dull just at the present moment. They were drawing their salaries from the Pollard Company, yet of late there has been little for them to do. Yet the three submarine boys knew that big things were in the air. David Pollard was away, presumably on important business. Jacob Farnham was not much given to speaking of plans until he had put them through to the finish. Some big deal was at present on with the government. That much the submarine boys knew by intuition. They felt, therefore, that at any moment they were likely to be called into action and to be called upon for big things. As Jack and Hal sat in the office, silent, while Jacob Farnham turned to his desk to scan one of the papers lying there, the door opened, a boy burst in, waving a yellow envelope. "'Operator said to hustle this wire to you,' shouted the boy, panting a bit. "'Said it might be big news for Farnham, so I ran all the way.' Jacob Farnham took the yellow envelope, opening it, and glancing hastily through the contents. 
it is pretty good news assented the shipbuilder a smile wreathing his face this is for you messenger this proved to be a folded dollar bill the messenger took the money eagerly and then demanded more respectfully any answer sir not at this moment thank you replied mr farnum that's all you may go boy plainly the boy who had brought the telegram was disappointed over not getting some inkling of the secret all dunhaven in fact was wildly agog over any news that affected the farnum yard for though the torpedo boat building industry was now known under the pollard name after the inventor of these boats the yard itself still went under the farnum name that young farnum had inherited from his father while jacob farnum is reading the dispatch carefully for a better understanding let us speak for a moment of captain jack benson and his youthful comrades and chums readers of the first volume in this series the submarine boys on duty remember how jack benson and hal hastings strayed into the little seaport town of dunhaven one hot summer day and how they learned that it was here that the then unknown but much talked about pollard submarine was being built both jack and hal had been well trained in machine shops they had spent much time aboard salt-water power craft and so felt a wild desire to work at the farnham yard and to make a study of submarine craft in general how they succeeded in getting their start in the farnham yard every reader of the preceding volumes knows how too f summers a native of dunhaven managed to cheek his way aboard the craft after she had been launched and how he had always since managed to remain there our same older readers will remember the thrilling experiences of this boyish trio during the early trials of the new submarine torpedo boat both above and below the surface and these readers will remember also for instance the great prank played by the boys on the watch officer of one of the stateliest battleships of the navy readers of the second volume the submarine boys trial trip will recall among other things the desperate efforts made by george melville the capitalist aided by the latter's disagreeable son don to acquire stealthy control of the submarine building company and their efforts to oust jack hal and eph from their much prized employment these readers will remember how jack and his comrades spoiled the melville plans and how captain jack and his friends handled the pollard so splendidly in the presence of a board of navy officers that the united states government was induced to buy that first submarine craft after that sale each of the boys received in addition to his regular pay a bank account of a thousand dollars and ten shares of stock in the new company moreover messrs farnum and pollard had felt wholly justified in promising these talented daring hustling submarine boys an assured and successful future jacob farnum at last looked up from the final reading of the telegram in his hands captain jack benson's gaze was fixed on his employer's face hal hastings was looking out of a window with almost a bored look in his eyes you young men wanted action announced mr farnum quietly i think you'll get it soon questioned jack eagerly immediately or a minute or two later laughed the shipbuilder i'm ready declared captain jack rising it'll take you a little time to hear about it all and digest it so you may as well be seated again declared farnum hal too wandered back to his chair you've been wondering how much longer the government would leave the pollard here went on mr farnum 
I am informed that the gunboat Hudson is on her way here to take over the Pollard What are the Navy folks going to do demanded Captain Jack all but wrathfully do they propose to tow that splendid little craft away? Hardly that I imagine replied Farnham It's the custom of the United States Navy you know to send a gunboat along with every two or three submarines They call the larger craft the parent boat the parent boat looks out for any submarine craft that may become disabled The cheek of it ventured Jack disgustedly why sir I'd volunteer to take the Pollard unassisted around the world if she could carry fuel enough for such a trip but the Navy hasn't been accustomed to such capable submarine boats as ours, you know," replied Mr. Farnham. Hence, the parent boat. Parent boat? interjected Hal Hastings with his quiet smile. You might call it the dad boat, so to speak. Mr. Farnham laughed and then continued. A naval crew will take possession of the Pollard, and the craft will proceed under the care of the dad boat, with a side glance of amusement at Hal to the United States Naval Academy at Annapolis. Annapolis, where they train the naval cadets, the midshipmen, into the United States Naval officers? Oh, how I'd like to go there, breathed Captain Jack Benson eagerly. As a cadet in the Navy, do you mean? asked Mr. Farnham. Why, that would have been well enough, assented Jack, before I had such a chance in your submarine service. No, I mean I'd like to see Annapolis. I'd like to watch the midshipmen at their training and see the whole naval life there It's too bad every fellow can't have his wish gratified as easily continued Jacob Farnham Do you mean we're going to Annapolis too asked Jack Benson his eyes glowing Even Hal Hastings sat up straighter in his chair watching the shipbuilders face closely Yes nodded Jacob Farnham permission has been granted for me to send our second boat the Farnham along with the Pollard both under the care of the the dad boat laughed Hastings Yes, that'll give us a chance to have the Farnham studied most closely by some of the most capable officers in the United States Navy It ought to mean presently the sale of the Farnham to the government That's just what it will mean promised Captain Jack if any efforts of ours can make the Navy men more interested in the boat you three youngsters are likely to be at Annapolis for some time went on mr. Farnham in fact But don't let your heads become too enlarged by the news will you Hal quiet young Hal neatly hid a yawn behind one hand while Benson answered for both We're already wearing the largest size caps manufactured mr. Farnham. Don't tempt us too far, please Oh you boys are safe from ordinary perils of vanity or your heads would have burst long ago well, then when you arrive at Annapolis you three are to act as civilian instructors to the middies You three are to teach the midshipmen of the United States Navy the principles on which the Pollard type of boat is run There I've told you the whole news. What do you think of it? Mr. Farnham's cigar having burned low he tossed it away and then leaned back as he lighted another weed What do we think sir? echoed Captain Jack eagerly why we think we're inside of the very time of our lives Annapolis and to teach the middies how to run a Pollard submarine How soon are we likely to have to start sir asked Hal Hastings after a silence that lasted a few moments Whenever the Hudson shows up along this coast and the officer in command of her gives the word and that may be any hour now Then we'd better find F suggested Captain Jack and pass him the word won't if summers dance a jig for delight though 
Yes, we'd better look both boats over at once, replied Mr. Farnum, picking up his hat. And we'll leave word for Grant Andrews and some of his machinists to inspect both craft with us. There may be a few things that will need to be done. As they left the office, crossing the yard, Captain Jack Benson and Hal Hastings felt exactly as though they were walking on air. Even Hal, quiet as he was, had caught the joy and affection of these orders to proceed to Annapolis. To be sent to the United States Naval Academy on a tour of instruction is what officers of the Navy often call the prize detail. Farnham and his two youthful companions went, first of all, to the long shed-like building in which the third submarine craft to be turned out of this yard was now being built. From inside came the noisy clang of hammers against metal. The shipbuilder stepped inside alone, but soon came out nodding. The three now continued on their way down to the little harbor, and all of a sudden the three stopped short, almost with a jerk, in the same second as though pulled by a string. At exactly the same instant, Jacob Farnham, Captain Jack Benson, and Engineer Hal Hastings put up their hands to rub their eyes. Their senses had told them truly, however, while the Pollard rode serenely at her moorings, the Farnham, the second boat to be launched, was nowhere to be seen. "'What on earth has happened to the other submarine?' gasped the shipbuilder, as soon as he could somewhat control his voice. "'What, indeed! There was not a sign of her. At least she had not sunk at her moorings, for the buoys floated in their respective places, with no manner of tackle attached to them. "'A submarine boat can't slip its own cables and vanish without human hands,' gasped the staggered Jack Benson. "'There's something uncanny about this,' muttered Hal Hastings. Jacob Farnham stood rooted to the spot, opening and closing his hands in a way that testified plainly to the extent of his bewilderment. End of chapter 1